I am so excited to be working with Pandora to bring you this season of Rain with Josh Smith. The new Pandora Me collection is all about embracing who you are and celebrating self-expression, just like this very podcast. The stunning new collection allows you to personalize chunky chain bracelets, rings, hoops, and necklaces to really express your own style. There are no rules when it comes to expressing who you are and how you feel with rings that can be connected together, mix and match links to create unique bracelets and pendants that can be added to necklaces or earrings. There are so many different ways to represent who you are with this completely customizable collection. And there's something for everyone with prices ranging from 15 to 200 pounds. It's affordable luxury at its finest. The new Pandora Me collection is available to shop now. Just head over to uk.pandora.net to check it out or pop into your nearest store. I'm heading over there now as there's a silver chain necklace I have my eye on and a stunning link spelling out freedom that feels very me. Hey, I'm Josh Smith and welcome to another series of my podcast, Rain. If you're new here, first of all, where have you been? been babe but second and most importantly i'm so glad you are here now this podcast is all about being the kings and queens of our own lives and it's full of empowering stories from brilliant guests as well as some incredible words to live by and of course a lot of lols too we all look at our favorite celebrities and think they've got it all and it's so easy to forget no matter who you are and what you do ultimately we are all the same In each episode, I'll be chatting to some of our favourite stars about the most human of experiences, how they've dealt with tough times and overcome them to reign over their lives. I've always found these conversations so inspiring, whether that's me making changes in my life, my relationships, or just getting my gym gear on. So I'm really hoping you will too. Welcome to Reign. In this episode of Rain with Josh Smith, we are joined by Gabrielle Union, and talking to Gabrielle is honestly like stepping into an incubator for empowerment. I'm officially obsessed. Many of you were first fallen in love with Gabrielle as the cheerleader Isis on Bring It On, and I said, brr, it's cold in here. There must be some clovers in the atmosphere. Look, if you know, (laughs) you know. Gabrielle went on to star in the likes of Bad Boys 2 and the TV series Being Mary Jane, but it's for her work off screen as an outspoken advocate for women's health and violence against women that saw her appear in the Time Magazine's list of 100 most influential people in the entire world in 2020. Gabrielle has just recently released her second memoir, Have You Got Anything Stronger?, which is one of the most honest memoirs you will ever read as she explores her relationship with her basketballer husband, Dwayne Wade, the fertility struggles she embarked on at 44 years old, and raising her transgender stepdaughter, Zaya. In this episode, Gabrielle opens up about everything from the lessons she learned from therapy to drumroll, please, the Bring It On sequel she's currently working on. This level of open and honest conversation is what Rain is all about. So I hope you take just as much away from this chat as I do. Get those crowns at the ready. Well, hello, babe. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm so good. And I mean, before we go any further, I think I just got to fangirl you for a hot second because your book you got anything stronger is sensational it's so powerful it's like 
I'm giving it to everyone for Christmas. All my friends listening to this right now, this is all your game for Christmas because it's so good. I think it's such an amazing, honest memoir. And I think that's a very rare thing in itself because I think as a society, we've still got so much fear around being honest. How difficult was it for you to be that honest with this book? Not not hard at all. Not a challenge at all. I think with the first book, I was so afraid of how my truth was going to be received that like when I go back and look at that book, I feel the fear just dripping off every page. And then I got to the book tour with that first book. And the thing, the few things that I did share, like it, it resounded so well with the, with the audience. And it felt like a revival at every, you know, tour stop. And people are like, oh my God, you're so brave. And I'm like, mm, not really. Cause I didn't even really get into it, into it. I, the, I, I shared what I, I thought I could navigate. So cut to four years later and a lot of therapy later, um, I just realized that vulnerability is my superpower and all of those things that I, I thought of as my weaknesses that I, I wanted to protect, like, you know, with everything I had, um, those weaknesses that I, that I was so committed to, to hiding, they were actually just sort of poisoning my body, you know, um, like poisoning against myself, like where you don't even want to face yourself. And by just letting it out, you build community, you know? Um, people are able to be like, yes, oh my God, I see myself, I hear myself on these pages and and thank you for saying this because I thought I was alone. And that's really our fear too in like letting out those vulnerabilities, those, those quote unquote weaknesses. We kind of feel like if we're honest about the things that, that, that challenge us, um, that we're just giving, you know, ammunition to the opposition to take us out. And really all it's doing is building community. Um, so yeah, so I, I freed myself of a lot of those fears and I just put it all in the book and I feel fucking great. I am, I feel free for the first time in my whole life. Mm. When do you think you've struggled the most to be honest with yourself and also others, would you say? God, I mean, at, at pretty much all the points in my life. I think when I was young and I was growing up and I was, you know, the chip in the cookie. When you're when you're the sole black face in a sea of whiteness, um, you you don't want to share all of the things that are said to you, all the things that are done to you, because you don't want to you don't want to stand out. You don't want to stick out. You want to just keep your head down, go along to get along, so you don't tell what's happening to you. You know, in high school when you know all of the the partying happens and and you know you might black out drinking or you you might try you know whatever gateway drug um and you might be you know struggling with certain things in your in your teenage life but you're like i'm not telling anyone i don't want my freedom limited i don't want to be judged harshly i don't want anyone to know i'm i have any problem you know, and it just that that cycle continues, you know, in your in your 20s, you're like, OK, I finished college. I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. I feel completely lost. Me and my friends are absolutely clueless. We don't have enough money to live up to our parents standards. And I guess I'm just a loser for the rest of my life. And one's going to love me. Like, so it just keeps, you know, just cycles of 
of of shame and insecurities that we just don't ever feel comfortable sharing because we think we're the only ones struggling and we're not but we choose to struggle in silos because we live in this fear of what are they going to do with this information they're just going to hurt me worse um yes we don't we don't say anything and you know i got divorced and had all these career setbacks and and relationship challenges and you know marital issues and all kinds of stuff fertility issues all of these huge things that everyone deals with that we're like nope no one deals with it like me no one has these problems and i'm not sharing shit why why would i let the world know and the reality is they a they probably already know and b and b they know because they see they recognize the signs, you know, um, in you that they see in themselves. And we're all just sort of waiting for somebody to tell the fucking truth. You know, there's a saying, tell the truth and shame the devil. Shit, that, that is true. You know, the more I started just like, fuck it, I'm going to be honest. I know what keeping things in is. I know what straight out lying does to me. It can't be any worse. So I'm going to empty my basket of fucks and tell the truth and oh wait hold on i told the truth and my life changed for the better all the opportunities that i i so coveted and wanted and and i you know just thought i was never worthy of suddenly presented themselves you know um i got to travel to different places meet all kinds of people but it came from just telling the truth and building community go figure Oh my god! Like I love that line, emptying the basket, fucks. Because I feel like you're speaking to me in, in so many ways in this. Because the other day I was having a conversation with my friend, and I was saying to her, I feel like so many times in certain friendship situations, when I'm saying how I feel about stuff or I'm opening up about stuff that's going on in my life, I feel like I have to edit it for for it to be palatable to other people, or for them to then not go ahead and judge me for it for the rest of time, or then try and pick a part of it to make it about their agenda. And honesty is such a difficult thing to come to terms with and also to wrestle with as a human being. But once you do it, it's really so freeing, isn't it? So freeing. I would, I strongly recommend it to everyone. Um, And you can just start out with talking to yourself in the mirror. No one's around, like who gives a shit? And just start telling the truth, the things that you've even hidden from yourself, those things that you've never even dared to speak to yourself or even allowed your brain to to process. Just say that shit to yourself. Get used to talking to yourself and telling the truth. Then try, I don't know, a therapist, someone who actually has to, you know, vow to protect your 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 privacy. And then go from there and you see how freeing it is and and how much more clarity and peace that you have. And then it's just it's like you can't, you won't be able to stop yourself. And I'm not talking about when keeping it real goes wrong, where you're just saying hurtful shit to people. Start with your own truths. You know what I mean? Those truths that, yeah, that you guard like Fort Knox and you don't want anyone to even get a glimpse of. Let that shit go. We're all struggling with something. It may not match exactly, but there'll be enough people who are like, ooh. Okay, I'm glad somebody said it because I've been circling the drain and I thought I was alone. And it's like, no, we're not alone at all. 
It's so true. And this is what this podcast is all about, is opening those conversations, honestly. So people feel less alone. And there is a community of people who feel seen and heard in ways they haven't done before. And in so many ways, when I was reading this book, and I read most of it on a plane, so I was at high altitude, so I was crying a lot through it, and then also uncontrollably laughing at other places too. I went on a whole roller coaster, babe, to be honest. But it was so interesting because I think that it is so much of a coming-of-age book in so many ways, and it kind of shows you come of age at so many different times in your life, because I think in the trajectory of our life, we're like, oh, we come of age at, like, you know, teenage years and our early 20s, and then we've all got it totally figured out. <laughs> You're like oh my god, I get to, you get to 13, you're like, oh babe, you did not have that figured out at all. It's okay, nobody does. No, everyone that you think has it together absolutely does not have it together. Um, but yeah, we, we, we put these, these crazy expectations on ourselves that we're supposed to have it figured out. You're supposed to know your life's purpose by 18, you know, and, and you're supposed to be able to start a whole ass family, you know, in your twenties. And you're supposed to, you're supposed to have these hit these career goals by your thirties and have all this knowledge by your forties. And yeah, that's not exactly how that happens. And I talk about it a lot in the book of like these, life is just a series of mini deaths and that you have to mourn the person that you thought you were as you reach that next plane of of evolution you know personal spiritual emotional physical evolution and you change as as life goes on and you have different experiences you change and trying to hold on to who you were when you were less evolved and and informed and you know, you, did, you made a lot of extra, extra stupid decisions. Um, mourn that person. It's okay to to mourn who you were and to long for the simplicity of how life was a lot easier when you just didn't fucking know shit. But now, okay, we're at this next phase. And eventually that phase will be obsolete. You have to mourn who that person was and you move on to the next. But the goal is to constantly be evolving and, and to be to be open enough to be moved by by the people that you meet and the places that you go and, and the knowledge that you acquire and learn and absorb. Um, that's when the good shit happens, you know? But if you're like, I don't look like I did in my 20s, you know, whatever, you know, my face is falling, you know? Um, <laughs> my guy friends talk about their nutsack falling. I'm like, that's a thing? And they're like, yes. Um, oh. So we're all worried about something drooping. Um, but we don't talk about that shit. See, like, didn't know that was a thing that guys even thought about. Um, but we're all worried about something. But it's like, okay, that, that day comes for us all. You know, father time is undefeated. And why do you want to be that person that you were, you know, all of those years ago? You can find new joys and new excitement and new adventures new shenanigans like just because you get older doesn't mean i don't know you're you're inching closer to you know obsolescence. that's that's the bullshit that they put on us i'm still dancing on tables like i'm almost 50 i don't give a shit you're gonna see this ass in like thirst traps i don't give a fuck i'm gonna do the sing-alongs i'm gonna do the dance-alongs like you come to a party at our house 
yeah, there's going to be like a 90s R&B sing-along that happens. And we may have a dance contest. And, you know, and it's okay. You know, there's going to be dog hair on the on the couch. Who gives a shit? Life goes on. Um, but you don't have to, like, give up the fun. You know what I mean? Just as you get older, like, that shit's boring. Um, I'm literally so glad the borders are opening because I'm booking a flight immediately to come dance around your house on top of the table. Be right there. That sounds like a hoot. It's a good time. Very oh, good. I bet it is. And I think what's so amazing is when you, at the top of this, you said, that, you know, you being honest has come with doing a load of therapy. And I think a lot of people, especially in the UK anyway, there's still so much stigma about A, talking about your feelings, and B, going to a therapist. But one of the most interesting things I've always learned from talking to people into therapy is the amazing lessons that they take away from it. What do you think has been your biggest takeaway from going to therapy? Honestly, it's that vulnerability is my superpower. That the things I associate with femininity are so rooted in the patriarchy, in um, misogyny in in white supremacy in in these very narrow um, confines of of what we put on women um, and the things that you're supposed to embrace um, as a woman and the things that we generally repel about women like that women are overly emotional that they that we share too much um, that we're weak that we you know we lack leadership ability like all those things and so as i found myself like ugh, the fuck are they why do they keep fucking talking like i don't give a fuck about your goddamn feelings like to me that didn't feel empowering it felt weak like you couldn't hack it that you couldn't keep that shit in and really what they were demonstrating was strength in, in releasing that shit but as you grow up and you, you're taught to believe that pretty much anything that is feminine, that that, rec- that that encompasses feminine energy is inherently less than and weak and needs to be sort of squashed. You gotta be a boss bitch, mm. you gotta be a badass motherfucker, you gotta be ba 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 ba. You're like, oh shit, okay, so let me suppress all of this. And I put vulnerability in that same box to be closed forever. So when my therapist was like, what if, what if your vulnerability was your superpower? And that squashing it is to thwart your own superpowers. So when you're called on to fight, you've, you yourself have dulled your sword. So what if you sharpen that bitch? by embracing your vulnerability. I'm just throwing it out there. And I was like, that feels counterproductive. Cut to, I see a shaman as one. They said something very similar. "Hmm." Then I'm listening to Brene Brown's podcast all about vulnerability and shame. And, And she added, you know, the scientific research to the study of vulnerability and shame. And I was like, Okay, okay. She came with a pie chart. I feel like now we're talking. Now I can kind of lean into this research. Um, you know how the kids are like, I'm doing my own research on vaccines and shit. I was doing my own research on vulnerability. Um, and when enough people had said it and I, I actually tried it, 
And the result was immediate release and freedom and clarity and joy. I was like, holy shit, my therapist was on something and I could have committed to this years ago, but I just thought, you know, why take one person's word for it? And so, I mean, a, you know, a hard head makes for a soft behind and it took me a minute to get there. But once I did, holy shit, everything changed. Everything opened up to me. The world that I spent, you know, 40 years feeling like it was closed off to me. I realized that the thing that was closed off to me was me. So I had to change. And that was like the, the moment that it clicked. Oh my God, that must have been like the most empowering moment of all time for you. And like, I think one of the things what really struck me about the book and the things that you're very honest about is fertility and your fertility struggles that you had. And I even see this in my own friendship group, especially at the moment, there's many people talking about fertility and how much more difficult they're finding it than they expected to and the struggles that got on with that. And also the one thing when we talk about it is this idea of the stigma comes up and this links back into what you were saying so beautifully it's about femininity and the kind of like shame around femininity especially around fertility as well going through that process what did you find the most like shockingly sexist thing that you kept coming up against well i mean it's a general idea that that men and women hold we don't trust childrenless women we find them inherently suspicious, um, mysterious, and not in a good way. Um, Anti-woman. Um, we, we, we don't trust women who don't have kids. And so part of that breeds the shame that keeps us kind of in the shadows and keeps us doing the whisper campaign rather than speaking out it, about it you know, in, in full voice. Um, but we shame women who have any difficulty, you know, with things that are, that should should just come naturally. You guys are breeders, so breed. Like we're animals and any kind of difficulty is to then be less of a woman. Um, yeah, I mean, it's the same, you know, sexist bullshit that says, you know, that's, that's really, that fuels the bounce back culture. Once you've had a baby, you know, um, and, and you know, if you've, birth one through your own body, uh, that you should somehow be a double zero, you know, by Christmas. And it's like, wait, what, like, how, you know what I mean? But this idea that, that women have to be good at, 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 at women things, you know, you have to be able to, to easily have a baby and you have to be able to bounce back. And then, then you have to be able to get back to work and, and be a domestic goddess and be, you know, a sex pot and, you know, be there for your community, all of these things. And it's like, wait, hold on. There's 24 hours in a fucking day. Like what? So if you have issues at any step along the way, you're not a real woman. You're not, you're not, you're not, you don't have any value as, as a woman. You've lost your the one thing you can do, you know, as, as men, you know, some idiots will say, but I mean, you're, you, you find that you're up against a lot, you know, when you're on a fertility journey, you could be up against, you know, finances. It's expensive to, to, mm. to, to have for any kind of fertility issues. Um, a lot of insurance doesn't cover it. Um, you could be up against, uh, 
you know, um, spiritual um, boundaries and challenges. If you are in a, a religion or, or a, a spiritual practice that frowns upon, you know, science um, helping you have a baby, you know, that could be an obstacle. You could be up against familial and, 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 and community pressures about how we expect women of color um, to be able to just, you know, have no challenges at all in terms of fertility and fertility issues are white women's burden. And, you know, that's not us. Those aren't our issues. So you're up against, you know, things constantly, constantly, constantly. And it just drives you into the shadows and it's very isolating. It seems like everywhere you look, people are just, you know, having babies. Like they'll be like, oh, you've got to have, you know, a full leafy green, you know, vegetable. You have to take all of these supplements and you can't, you know, do anything. Everything has to be perfect. You also have to be a, you know, a, a monk and all of these things in order to be pregnant. And then you look and you're like, oh my God, they're drinking a 40 and eating, you know, Cheetos and they're out all night and like they just got pregnant and like no effort and you just feel like such a loser like such a like a like a fraud a fraud of a woman um and it sucks it just really sucks and you if you combine any of those things like race and socioeconomics and you know age it, it all ageism it all comes together, you know, to make a lot of our fertility journeys a lot more um, challenging. Mm-hmm. Well, I couldn't help but thinking when I was reading this and also just listening to you right now, anyone who listens to this who's going on those journeys and hears you talking about it, it truly helps people feel less alone. And I think that is the true actions of a queen. And this podcast is all about celebrating those queens. Yes, it <laughs> is and gabrielle you're obviously a queen as i've been saying but who do you think has inspired you and passed the crown on to you oh gosh i was really lucky um that i had so many great queens um that were in you know the the hollywood generation um just before me like regina king queen latifah Tisha Campbell, Tashina Arnold, Jennifer Lewis, they all were so invested in our success. I can't just say mine because there was they took a lot of us under their wings, um, but they just weren't interested or invested in our failure or watching us fail. Um, you know, so as they say, you know, Hollywood is a cutthroat business, but we were very lucky to have queens like those who 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 wanted to share the throne. They weren't interested in keeping people, locking people out of the castle. They, they they held those doors wide open. And they were like, sanctuary, sanctuary. <laughs> Definitely gonna get always get a, a Notre Dame <laughs> reference. <laughs> Rain and Pandora's latest collection, Pandora Me, are both all about celebrating who you are and telling your story in your own way. Their latest collection of bracelets, rings, hoops and necklaces can be completely customised to create your own individual pieces of jewellery. Pandora Me is all about self-expression and trust me, there is a piece for everyone. So if you want to tell your story or switch up your mood through jewellery, this is for you. 
Prices range from 15 to 200 pounds and it's in stores now or on uk.pandora.net. This podcast is going to fall around the time of International Day of the Girl Child, which is such an important day when we reflect on girls in our society and what we hope for their future. And I feel that your book, in the intro, you even mention how special it is about raising young women. What have you kind of learned about yourself through raising young women? I learned that I don't have all the answers. Um, I learned that I don't know is a real answer that more of us should use uh, instead of just making up facts, not in evidence. I say it all the time, you know, I don't know, but let's figure that out together. Uh, and I'm, I'm respected a lot more uh, by my kids <laughs> and by my family and my peers. Um, I learned in trying to raise free black girls just how I've shackled myself and how I've been shackled by in, in being so deeply invested in certain institutions that actively work to oppress me. Um, so I've had to learn to, how to divest my interest and my, and my foundation from a lot of these institutions that have never worked <laughs> you know, the way that they were you know, uh, sold you know, to us as, as working. If you just work hard enough and you do this, this, and this, and all of these things will come true. And it's like, not, not really, um, not for all of us. That was cute though, uh, that you, that you put that on us and it absolutely doesn't work like that for a good chunk of us. And so learning to divest from that and, and understanding how deeply invested I was, um, in systems that are built to oppress and, and to condemn and demonize people that look like me. So I've just learned, to, I don't really know shit, um, and, but I'm, I'm okay to, to start learning and, and unlearning, you know, as I move into my fifties, I'm not afraid and I'm okay to be like, yeah, definitely did not get that right. Screw the pooch on that one. But I, I acknowledge that and I, um, I welcome learning. So I'll learn right alongside the kids. And I think that's what's so beautiful about the way you talk about your relationship with your stepdaughter as well, who has ascribed a gender that was incorrect for her at birth. And the story and the way you talk about her coming out and talking to you about it and the way you approached it and how you kind of like, I didn't have all the answers, but I was just gonna be there and I was gonna listen. And I honestly thought, as a member of the LGBTQ plus I community as well. When I was listening to that, I was like, this is just so amazing to hear this about a parent talking about the way that they were going to help their child through this, it can be quite a tough period in their lives as well. When you look at someone going through their own self-discovery journey and a quest to almost live authentically as themselves, what did that teach you about living authentically as yourself in the face of so much discrimination that you could come up against in those situations? Because to live your most authentic life is to live out loud. And to live out loud is to, to live in radical transparency and honesty and truth. And to step into your truth and own it unapologetically. And, you know, that had never seemed like so, something that I could do without being 
without holding the burden of fear and to watch our child do it. And the freedom and joy and peace and grace that she extended and that she received, it, it was inspiring. Why wouldn't, why, why wouldn't anyone looking at, at Zaya's journey um, or journeys like Zaya's not be inspired to live their own truth and, and to lead with transparency? That's how we embrace who we are ourselves and creates the space and place for other people to accept our, our, who we are, all of it, all of who we are not just slivers or pieces that they find most comfortable, but all of who we are. It's absolutely inspiring. And I love that story about when you guys went to to Pride for the first time, and it was a bring it on flow. I was like, yes, this was the best Pride ever. I know, it was so random. It was just how, you know, the, the universe, you know, made it happen. It was just random. Me and Zaya were gonna have a little, you know, date on on a Sunday, and I was calling to make reservations. At, it was it's like this drag queen brunch, and they do performances and all these things and bingo and stuff. And so I was calling to make a reservation, and the the person taking the reservation was like, "This is so weird, but I gotta go for it. Would you ever be interested in in being on our our uh, float for Pride?" Um, this year's theme is bring it on and here you are calling, I gotta, I gotta ask. And I was like, <laughs> oh wow, that sounds like so much fun, but let me ask my date. So I, I, um, I asked Zaya and she was like, oh my God, I've always wanted to go to Pride. And I was like, what? You've never said a word. And I've, I've obviously been to Pride all over the world. I'm like, I am good in these Pride streets, like wherever, let's, okay, let's go. And so we assembled you know, her Avengers, if you will, about 25, 30 people who her her family, her friends, her tutors, teachers, coaches, and they all walked alongside the float, the whole float, the whole parade route. While Zaya and I were on the float, they walked, you know, alongside and we all had our, you know, rainbow flags and, you know, our, our support, you know, stickers and, and signs and stuff. And uh, yeah, so as we introduced her to her community um, and watched her come alive on that float. It was like she was born on that float. And to see the, the joy and the diversity and the, the possibilities, you know, um, of the community, of her community was brilliant. It was awesome to watch. I've, I've, um, a lot of people questioned, you know, our parenting decisions. But denying access to community is to me a form of abuse. Um, community builds us, it keeps us whole, it keeps us um, connected and rooted to something, to someone. And to deny that, it feels abusive. Um, to deny someone's very humanity and existence feels abusive. You know, a lot of times parents feel like they're protecting their kids, um, you know, by controlling them. But controlling your kids isn't protecting them. It's something else that's not positive. So we just, we for us, Zaya's piece 
needs has never been negotiable. Her the love is never, it's never negotiable. Our acceptance and our, how demonstrative we are and with all of these things, it's just never been negotiable. And we just made it clear from day one, when she came out day one in the third grade, we were like, you are not allowed in this home around us, around anything that we have to do with in our business. If, if you do not accept, not just our child, but if you have anything homophobic, transphobic, anti-queer to say or done, you're just not welcome in this home. This home will be a sanctuary for our child and every community. So that's just what we're on. So you either get with the program or, or not. And I, I'm happy to report we didn't lose anybody. I literally love that because I think that is... That is just the kind of parenting that we that someone from the LGBTQ plus community wants to hear. And I think that's so special. And when you think back to that idea of pride and being on those kind of floats and you're thinking about the moments you've been most proud of yourself, when do you think you've been most proud of yourself? Because I mean, when I was reading the book and I was, you were talking about bring it on and how you wish you stood up for your character more and like the amazing letter you wrote to her, I thought that like, wow, that's a real moment of pride to look back and look at your achievements and then review them in a way. Was that a moment of pride for you? Well, acknowledging that, you know, in order to go forward, I needed to go back and, and make make amends with what I did and didn't do right in the moment when given full autonomy to do whatever I wanted, I chose respectability. And I, I chose to deny her her full humanity as a character and I was wrong. And if we're talking about doing, you know, a sequel, which, you know, we are, I have to figure out and I have to be, I have to hold myself accountable for for where where I fell short, you know? And so then I can better develop the character, you know, if, if, if when we revisit Isis, she will be her full ass, black ass self. Yes, I love that. Like, does that does the idea of a sequel for you was so much excitement because it gives you this kind of atonement in a way? Yeah, I think I think for a lot of the people that the movie still resonates with, um, the things, the issues that that we that, that caught us, you know, twenty one years ago, they're still very much in you know the zeitgeist it's it's these are still issues cultural appropriation and theft of work product and not acknowledging or or account you know um uh you know the originators or the um the people who created something and ripping things off of people you know and off of communities of color um without giving you know credit where credit's due the misappropriation of um those ill-gotten gains from those wins that came off the backs of somebody else. Like all of these things are still happening. Um, so how can we make, you know, Isis and the Clovers and, um, and, and, you know, uh, Torrance Shipman more evolved or more realistic um, to be their full selves, you know, however we decided to develop those characters. Um, but I think it's also important that everyone agrees that you know, the, the, the Clovers would be centered in the sequel and, you know, Isis will be centered and, and uh, 
our community's perspective will be centered in you know the sequel that involves me and Kirsten and our director Peyton Reed and um, but we'll find a new writer um, so yes we'll we'll just we'll try a different way in where you allow people to be their full selves and you don't have to cave to like respectability and the bullshit notion of class all class like the being classy in the face of harm just allows your abuser to go on unchecked and think that it's not that bad because you took the high road well the high road is fucking empty because it sucks and it actually unless you're talking about dealing with children um, or co-parenting or something like that but in most cases taking the high road absolves people of their bullshit and of their fuckery mm. so you think you're being classy but you just set the stage for them to continuous to, to continuously pull this same shit on the next person because you thought not holding their feet to the fire was being classy no you're just being complicit in your own pain and the next person's pain. So it's okay to not coddle the person who causes harm. Like these days people are like, oh my God, like I'm being canceled for bad behavior that I've been allowed to get away with for 20 years. Oh, it's so unfair. And then somehow we're supposed to feel bad for the abuser. What? No, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, consequences. It, the rest of us have been dealing with that for the rest of like, our the entirety of our lives. Get used to it. But like this idea that you you can't make someone who's harmed you feel bad. What? They didn't give a shit about making you feel bad. So you no, you actually you actually don't have to con like consider their feelings when thinking about consequences or accountability. No, that's not how it should work. But I think a lot of these abuses have been able to continue to continue on for generations because of how we've been conditioned to respond to abusive or oppressive you know situations and systems oh my god well i'm gonna be there with my pom-poms my full cheerleader outfit front row at that cinema cheering you on when it happens because we need this oh my god i can't wait and we always end on one final question in this podcast and that always is queen gabrielle in the reign of your life what is the one rule you will always live by one rule i always live by ground beef is the only beef that I recognize. <laughs> yeah. It's the rule of my kingdom. <laughs> Walk me through what that means. <laughs> I feel like I need a little quick explanation on that one with an asterisk. Extreme addiction to ground beef. And I, it drives me crazy when people should be using ground beef, but instead they use like chunks of steak. Um, yeah, I believe ground beef belongs in most things. <laughs> I love that. I thought that was like an analogy for beef, as in like if you have beef with someone. We are taking, guys, we're taking this to the kitchen and we're here for it. <laughs> Keep it simple. Keep, Keep it simple and put your beef in every dish.
Ground chuck, kids. Ground chuck. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me. Honestly, I feel like I've literally visited the Oracle today. I feel like I've literally like gone to have an audience with a true queen and that you are. So go off, polish that crown and wear it with pride for the whole rest of the day. Oh my God, I love you. Thank you so much for this. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me for another incredible episode of Rain. I really hope you found something to take away from this chat. And if you have, let me know. Get me on socials at Josh Smith Hosts. And the Royal Email Bag is always open for your problems. And as always, if you enjoyed this episode, please like, rate, subscribe, or follow. And ultimately, please share this conversation with someone you think needs to hear it. It might just open up the conversations you never knew you needed. And just before you head off, you've heard us talking about International Day of the Girl Child in this episode. And I just wanted to take a moment to tell you about a charity project that is so close to my heart, because this podcast is all about empowering women everywhere. To mark International Day of the Girl Child, the charity Right to Play have launched their new campaign, Save Her Seat. COVID-19 has left 11 million girls at risk of never returning to school. That's 11 million dreams dashed across the globe. The campaign aims to save 50,000 school seats so girls can return to the classroom. With decades of progress on the line, it's important we all come together to help girls everywhere. For more information, head to their Instagram account at Right Play UK.